to the new John Simmons Show. After years of battling a gambling addiction, John found a hope and a future for his life through Christ. He has spent the last several years encouraging others to find joy, peace, and hope in their lives by walking out God's plan for their lives. Now, John wants to help you find the passion, vision, and faith you need to start writing out God's sentence for your life and help you add to it every day. Phone lines are now open. Call or text 314-880-0808. Now, here is your host, the new John Simmons. Welcome to the new John Simmons Show, where you can find God's sentence for your life and become the new you, where we talk about finding passion, vision, and faith in your walk with Christ so that your life can overflow with joy, peace, and hope today. I'm very excited to have a special guest joining us on the show today. For listeners of this show, he will need not much of an introduction. I speak highly of him and his ministry very often. Many of you have heard me recount the stories of how his ministry has really, I mean, truly helped shape and mold my life in Christ. For those less familiar, our guest today is Joe McGee. Joe is an author and teacher who has traveled the country speaking on marriage, family, and parenting for more than 25 years. Joe uses humor and storytelling to share biblical truths and insight like no other speaker that I know. You can also listen to Joe on his daily radio show called Fighting for Families. Tonight, Joe is here to talk about his brand new book, which I have and is a wonderful read, the culmination of his ministry, I feel. You Don't Get a Great Marriage, You Build One is the title of his new book, which is now available at JoeMcGeeMinistries.com. Let's welcome my favorite Bible teacher to the show and friend of the new John Simmons program, Mr. Joe McGee. Hey, John, how you doing? <laughs> I, you, get a, you get a special introduction when you're my favorite. <laughs> I appreciate that. I feel no pressure. No pressure. No pressure at all. Uh, uh, let me tell you today, uh, I'm I'm obviously blessed to have you on the program, but it's been a while since I've both talked to you and seen you speak in person. And I was talking to my wife about this, especially my wife. It's been longer for her. And she was saying, well, John, maybe some of that stuff you learned a long time ago started to rub off. So she told me that I need to listen real close today on the program. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Has anything ever like that ever happened with you? Oh, sure. Lots of times. I'm telling you. Uh, I tell the joke all the time. It says, marriage is nothing more than two ignorant people growing up together. You don't get to know anybody when you date them. You have to get married before you're ever going to get to know them. I tell people, on the day you say I do, scales will fall from your eyes and revelation will come from heaven. And somehow, what did I just do? <laughs> you married into that, buddy. You married into that. <laughs> well, your brand new book, of course, it's called You Don't Find a Great Marriage, You Build One. Uh, I've already sort of said it, but it's I feel it's the culmination of your ministry work over the last three decades. I really feel like it contains many insights and, of course, of course, a bunch of great observations about building a great marriage. But I wanted to start with this question about, you know, do you remember where your journey in marriage started and maybe where the first lessons that you started to pour into this book came from about building a great marriage? Well, Denise and I were young. We got married. Uh, she just got out of high school. I just got out of the service. And uh, our families had known each other. Our fathers worked for the same company. For 30 years, our families lived in the same town. Our families went to the same good Southern Baptist church. Uh, we lived three miles from each other. I really did not know her in high school. I knew of her, but I'd never met her. So it was after I graduated, I was finishing my freshman year in college when I ran into her at a ball field, and that's kind of how that started. So uh, we got married, and uh, it took about three years of marriage before we hated each other's guts. I hated her, and mm. she hated me. <laughs> and, my friends would say, what's wrong with your marriage? I said, I married a she-bear from the south side of Hades. That's oh, what my. <laughs> And my best friend would say, he's still my best friend today. He says, well, she sure is pretty. I said, yes, she is. And the devil's good looking, too. Did you ever read that in the Bible? The devil's good looking, too. That doesn't matter. And so I, we were just ignorant. We didn't know that uh, it's the title of the book. Jesus said, you know, I'm going to build a church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus did not find a church. He built one out of thumb-sucking, hell-bound sinners. Uh, there, there are no perfect people. They don't exist. Well, I married a perfect person. No, you're blind as a bat and dumb as dirt. Trust me, it takes about 18 months for that blindness to fall off your eyes. Mm. You're going to realize, after a while, we realized we were so alike when we were dating. We, we liked the same food, the same food, 
movies. We like the same John Wayne movies. We were so alike. There was a time I thought we might be cousins, and I actually went to the county courthouse to make sure we were not on the same family tree. And so, but we weren't, but it took just about a year into marriage to realize we could not agree on anything. I said up, she said down, I said in, she said out, I said red, she said yellow. It's like, what happened? I mean, are you just, are you my gift from hell itself just to make my life miserable? And uh, we realized, in the, and once we got born again and got back in church, that opposites attract. You know, uh, it's not Adam and Steve, it's Adam and Eve. God made something opposite of him. He already had Adam. He loved Adam. Adam's in charge of everything. But the one day he was going down through looking at all he had created, the birds, the bees, flowers, the trees, and God said good to everything. Good, 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 good. And the first time God said not good, he was looking at a man. Mm. <laughs> he said not good. What did we do? Man. What did we do? <laughs> yeah, he says, he, said, it's, it's, he said, what's wrong with me? He said, well, you're alone. He said, what's alone? He had no concept of alone. There wasn't, there wasn't anything to relate to. Yeah. And God said, lay down here and take a nap. I'm going to take a rib, and I'm going to fix that. And Adam woke up missing a rib, and he saw the centerfold of all life standing in front of him. And he went, whoa, Father. Mm-hmm. And God said, I'm sure you like that. And I tell people, they didn't milk the cows or feed the camels that day. They went off the <laughs> So they got to know each other pretty quick. fellowship day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the problem was, Satan had already been fired from his job. He got kicked out of heaven. He was the anointed cherub that covers. He was in charge of wealth, music, full of wisdom, perfume, beauty. The Bible says when he got kicked out of heaven, he didn't lose his gifts. He kept his gifts. Yeah. He gets kicked down to earth. He's lost his position. And all of a sudden, he sees this human, something lower than an angel, with all this responsibility and all this power. He thought, well, now, who is that? And so Satan knew, if I can get him to sin, I'll get his stuff. So the Bible talks about how Satan is the temporary God of this planet. Second yep. Corinthians 4, 4. John 10, 10, he steals, kills, and destroys. People ask me all the time, because I got a big family. My dad had 12 brothers and sisters, and my father-in-law had 12 brothers and sisters. Well, I'm the only preacher in the bunch. You know, so I do all the weddings and funerals because I'm free. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, Cheap labor. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and you'll get the strangest questions, especially at uh, at funerals. People say, well, why did God let this happen? Why did God let this happen? Said, God didn't let this happen. He's not in charge. Sure, God's all-powerful, all-knowing. Well, that's true, but he's not in charge of this planet. He gave this planet to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve sinned and gave it to the devil. So Satan is the temporary God of this planet, and he kills, steals, and destroys. He's tearing up everything. That, I tell people, I say, that's why hospitals are full and prisons are full mm. and orphanages are full. What's going on? Why did God do this? God's not doing anything. God's in heaven. There's a laser light show and they're singing to him. <laughs> uh, it's really good. <laughs> you know, God can only come down to this planet when somebody asks him. That's why, you know, eight times in the New Testament, Jesus tried to teach. He said, you have not because you ask not. You need to ask that your joy might be made full. He said, I know what you need before you ask, but I need you to ask. It's a legal thing. Yeah. I said, I love everybody, but I can't help you unless you ask me. And so prayer is just a powerful part of marriage. You've got to learn how to pray. You don't have to, I tell couples, you don't have to shave your head or suck rug or hum a hymn or light a candle. Hmm. Uh, you can pray while you're washing the toilet or, you know, sitting across from the breakfast table. Hey, let's just agree on this real quick. And you start praying for your family and your marriage and your kids and your finance and your future and your health and your in-laws. Quit rapping about it and just start praying for it. Yeah. Things will things will turn around. We're here with Joe McGee here on the new John Simmons show talking about his new book called You Don't Find a Great Marriage, You Build One. You had mentioned in your last comments, Joe, that you know you and Denise were two ignorant people growing up together. So tell me, you, you mentioned that you came to Christ sort of together after you were married. So what were like what was the first lesson or the first couple of lessons that you really had to take a long time to learn uh, as a new believer inside your marriage? Well, we were going to a Bible study, and I went to church all my life since the day I was born. My parents had us in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every camp meeting, every training union. We never missed church. But we did not read our Bible. We carried it like a magic wand, like we were Tinkerbell or something, mm. and we, just, we didn't read it. And God said, I watch over my word to perform it, but we didn't have any word in us. So I'm, I'm working as a lab technician. I had a really good job, and uh, this guy that came in to take over the lab, there were nine of us working in the lab, and he invited us to a Bible study Friday night at this house. And so we were going to go. I don't want to go to a Bible study, but right. he's my boss. I need a raise, so we're going to go, you know. <laughs> and so he invites us, and after dinner, we had a really nice dinner. He's married to a normal woman, had three great kids. We went down into his den downstairs, this massive den, and we all sat around, and he would teach a Bible story. So he'd pull out that little pocket Bible he carried in his pocket all the time. And 
He read a little Bible story, and it was about the woman with the issue of blood. And he said, well, Phyllis, my wife, and I would like to lay hands on you and pray for anybody that's sick or not feeling good. Well, my best friend's wife was sitting right next to us, and we kind of got our job in the lab together. And she had bad knees from playing basketball in high school. She said, well, my knees really bothered me. And they said, well, let us pray for you. So they got up and came over and took some oil and anointed her knees, and they prayed for it. And they got up, and all of a sudden, she starts jumping up and down. And I know this lady. They're our best friends. She starts jumping up and down. So, oh, they feel good. They feel good. And I thought, they put some kind of hoodoo on her. What did, what did they do to her? And so, now, who wants one's hands? Don't touch me. I don't know what you did, but don't touch me. And so, we're going every Friday night, and uh, he kept inviting us back. So, we went together. All those, We rented a big van, so we wouldn't be left behind. So, I said, I'm not going if you're not going. I'm not going if you're not going. So, it's about the sixth Friday night, and... Uh, I went and bought me a brand-new Schofield Bible. I'm a backslidden Baptist. I got me a new Schofield Bible. Pages are still stuck together, son. <laughs> and so Denise got on to my wife. She said, you need to start participating. You're not participating. I said, I don't have a clue what's going on. I'm trying not to look stupid or get embarrassed. Mm-hmm. She said, well, tonight, you're the only one that's not asked a question. You need to ask a question tonight. And so on that sixth night, we're down there, and Denise is kind of elbowing me. I said, okay, okay. So I raised my hand, and uh, Bill Clark, who's the chemical engineer at the plant I'm with, he's, it's his home. He's He's a spirit-filled guy and, and a Methodist. And he said, uh, I had my hand up. And he said, yes, Joe, what's your question? I said, I said Bill, what page are you on? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, well, Joe, what kind of Bible do you have? And I was just confused. And so everybody's looking at me. And I said, I have an American Bible. <laughs> and everybody kind of chuckled like that was funny. He said, no, Joe, what translation is it? I thought, what? He said, what translation is it? And I sat there a minute and I said, it's in English, and yeah. everybody thought that was the funniest thing. And I realized that I didn't have a clue what was in that book, so I tried not to be embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent the next six weeks going home at night. We didn't have any children then. Mm-hmm. We get to bed about ten o'clock, and I turned my lamp on on my side of the bed, and Denise said, "What are you doing?" So I'm gonna read my Bible. Mm. And what I was looking for, I started in Matthew. I'm heading to Revelation. I'm trying to find where all these devils died off. I know Jesus <laughs> killed them. I saw the Easter movie. I saw that Easter movie many times. He had, I'm sure he killed the devil off. And so I'm trying to find where they died, and I got to the end of Revelation six weeks later, and I realized, well, he's not dead, and they're still here. And I thought, oh, man, oh, man, I need to get myself some faith. I heard about that faith thing. And so I got on my knees when I punched out of work one Friday night. I said, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I'll take whatever you got. I need to start growing. And so we got in a good local church, and we began to grow, and things began to change. And uh, people said, when did your marriage change? Well, we started going to church. You know, two things last forever, the Word of God and the body of Christ, and you need to be involved in both of them. There are no perfect churches because there's no perfect people. So what you're trying to do, you're not looking for a perfect church. You're looking at a church you can be a part of, volunteer in, grow in, learn from, and be a blessing to everybody that's around you. Did you have a problem, or did you have a situation that you faced in that in that idea that you and Denise were going to church together and, and learning these similar things? What about the families that are dealing with, like, one person went to the Bible study and the spouse stayed at home? Yeah, we had a situation. Well, even Denise and I had one because uh, we grew up in the same Southern Baptist church, but she started dating a guy that went to the local Church of God, Pentecostal church. And uh, so when we first got married, I'm not going to that Pentecostal church. I'm not a Pentecostal. So well, I'm not going back to the Baptist church. I like this church over here. And so we did not go to the same church for the first three years of marriage. Wow. I'm not going to yours. You're not going to mine. <laughs> and, uh, and so... We realized something, you know, it's all the same Jesus. We just need to get inside the book. And so we found a great church together that three years after that thing settled. And uh, about the next nine years, we grew. Things got good. It wasn't perfect. We still had disagreements, but we knew how to repent quick and how to forgive quick. And uh, and all of a sudden, I, I was sitting in the kitchen about 12 years into our marriage, and I, it just dawned on me. I said, Denise was washing dishes. I, and I said something. I just realized something. She said, what? I said, you're not going to change, are you? <laughs> she said, what? You're not going to change, are you? And she said, Joe, is that a revelation to you? I said, yes, it is. I, said, oh. I just had a revelation. No, Joe, I came ready-made. I'm the way God made me. You're the way God made you. And, and I tell people all the time that laugh. Marriage is nothing more than two ignorant people growing up together. Yeah. Uh, I, Denise is so different. I'm different. Two are better than one, not because you agree, but because you see the problem from a different viewpoint. And so that's what makes it an advantage, you know? Uh, there's a bumper sticker in Texas somewhere that says when two people are just alike, one of you's not needed. <laughs> great words of wisdom and insight from Joe McGee, whose new book, You Don't Find a Great Marriage, You Build One, is now available at joemcgeeministries.com. We have so much more to get to with Joe. 
Don't go away. You're not going to want to miss what he has to say about the difference between men and women, parenting, and, of course, the law of love, which we'll discuss when we come right back here on the new John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. Find passion, find vision, find faith. You're listening to the new John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. This motley crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves, there's no one unwelcome here. Welcome back, everybody. It's the new John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. Our esteemed guest this evening is author, Bible teacher, radio show host host himself, Joe McGee, who hosts Fighting for Families Radio five days a week. Very excited to have him on our radio program, talking about his brand new book, You Don't Find a Great Marriage, You Build One. So let's continue our conversation with Joe on how we can build a better marriage. You talk in the book a lot, Joe, about the law of love and this idea that I would say to you, you know, I'd pose this question to you, well, most people who get married, aren't they in love? And you sort of describe that the definition, the biblical definition of love is not like we see it in the world. So can you sort of explain the difference to us? No, love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. You know, God looked at us as, listen, you read, you read in Matthew, he said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It cost God everything to love us with no guarantee that we would love him back. And so love's a one-way street. Well, and most people, they get mad. I've been counseling. People say, well, I'll love you if you'll love me, and I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. And so it, it becomes this 50-50 swap meeting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I just, you know really, I, I used to laugh and joke. I said, a marriage is a, a funeral. Hallmark's got the cards all wrong. <laughs> oh, no. It should, say, it should say, I'm so sorry. I heard you got married. Because if you don't die at that marriage seminar, you're a half-dead zombie. Yeah. And you're always demanding your own way. Well, when do I get to choose? And when do I get to Well, you don't have I. You died at that ceremony. You promised before God. Because a marriage is a covenant, and you can't have a covenant unless somebody dies. Mm. You're, saying to, you're, saying, you're saying before God and all those people that came to that wedding, from this day forward, I'm going to live for this person. I don't exist anymore. I'm going to spend the rest of my life loving and serving this person right here. And if you ever get that in you, man, you all be sucking the lips off your face when you're 95. I That's guarantee good. it. It's just a good thing. So we came up with the four things. That's what we talk about in the book. There's four levels, four things you need to know about every marriage. You know, there's four reasons for divorce. The top four reasons for divorce in our country are very simple. You can just Google it, go to your local newspaper. You know, if you decide the section where everybody gets married and divorced, why? And it'll give you. So, well, it's number one, it's a lack of communication. That's the number one reason for divorce. We can't communicate. We don't know how to communicate. We argue. We yell. We fight. We scream. We cuss. Well, the Bible says, you know, you have two ears and one mouth. It's, a, it's sort of a math thing. Be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to wrath. And all, all divorces start with words. Uh, all marriages start with words. Uh, all wars start with words. All peace agreements start with words. All affairs start with words. How do you get in a mess? Get your mouth moving the wrong direction. <laughs> so it says, let, let the let the redeemed the Lord say so. Yes. You know, let the weak sound strong, let the poor sandwich call those things and be not as though they are. I tell people, a marriage license is not a permission slip to say anything to your spouse that hits your brain. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. So that's how you start a fight. That's how you're going to end up on the couch for about a week, guys. Shut your mouth. You're trying to, you, and what happens in that conversation thing, people try to take each other into their past. So all the time I've done marriage counseling, I give every couple the first 15 minutes. Guys, you can say anything you want, but get it out because I'm giving you the first 15 minutes. I have the last 15 minutes because I'm not a licensed counselor. So I can talk to you one time. If I can't help you, I can recommend a licensed counselor. But really, it's the Word of God that you need. So I take them every time I take them to Revelation 2-4 where God's talking to the church at Ephesus. And God is so proud of the church of this. Man, I love you. I'm proud of you. You've done well. You've sacrificed. You've given. He's got all these things he's bragging on. But but I but I do have this one thing I have against you, and and they're the only one that got bragged on of all those churches of Revelation. Yeah. I bragged on Moses. I'm sorry, I thought you liked this. Well, I do. I'm proud of it. Well, what's the problem? He said this. He said it real simple. You have left your first love. Mm. They said what? 
Well, you've fallen out of love with me. First time we met, you couldn't help but hang out with me. Every time I showed up, you showed up. We walked together, talked together, we sang, you prayed, we worshiped. Man, you love hanging out with me. So I began to bless you and respond to the faith you were using. And man, now you're blessed and you're prospering, you're doing good. But the only time you ever show back up is when you got alligators under your armpit. You don't hang out with me anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so you've fallen out of love. And every couple goes through that. They talk about the seven-year itch or the three-year itch or the ten-year itch or, or a lot of couples when the last kid leaves home, that's where the highest divorce rate is because you've just been tolerating each other for the kid's sake. Oh. And so God said it real simple. Said, well, you need to remember from what you follow. Think back what it was like when you first got married. Well, it was nice, man. We could mm-hmm. we sucked the lips off each other's face. and we go to movies and hold hands and hug and kiss. We couldn't keep <laughs> yeah. our hands off each other. I remember those you need things. to remember from what you follow. <laughs> he said, number two, you need to repent that you fell. Mm. What? Yeah, you need to repent, man. That's sin, falling out of love. Mm. And then you need to redo what you did in the beginning. I tell couples, you can fix this. Well, no, we've fallen out of love. It's hopeless. No, no, you can fall back in love. A guy in Kentucky one time in one of our seminars, he just casually mentioned between his sessions, he said, I fall in love with my wife about six, seven times a year. And people just <laughs> stared at him and said, yeah. what? Yeah, we fall in love all over again because you get busy paying bills, fixing busted teeth, trying to get kids into college, transmission's leaking, I need a new vehicle. You get busy just trying to survive through life, True. and you don't focus on each other. And so you have to learn how to fall in love all over again. So communication was the number one biggest thing. you got to learn how to talk and listen, and listen twice as much as you talk. Uh-oh. Because problems come from that. That's a, that's a lesson some people haven't gotten yet. I like what you also mentioned, divorce and in. in as you know, as a whole, we see we constantly think of this number: fifty percent of divorce or marriages end in divorce. But you've sort of mentioned, I've heard you say before, that the numbers are sort of skewed. That that if you get divorced once, you're more likely to get divorced a second time and a third time. What aren't people learning? <laughs> well, you, 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 what happens is, and I had a relative that did that. Yeah. I had one relative that got married seven times. You know, we're a long stretch, and I was at a first wedding and then did that and uh, called about a year and a half later. Said, "Man, I'm a hard time. We're getting divorced." I said, what happened? So I married an idiot. I married the wrong person. I married too early, you know. And so, and so, you know, about a year later, she said, hey, I'm getting married again. Would you do the wedding? I said, no, ma'am, I will not. I'll come to the wedding. I'll eat cake, and I'll throw rice at you, but I'm not going to marry you. So why not? I said, because you have no business getting married. You're not ready to get married. You're not mature enough. Sure am. I just made a mistake. No, you didn't. There's an old saying, darling. I said, like kind marries like kind. You attract who you are. Mm. Now, people have a hard time believing that, but every psychology class will teach you that. It's in the Bible. It says, like kind draws like a... Ahab found Jezebel. Ruth found Boaz. Find every couple in the Bible. Who'd you, mind? Who'd you meet? You. Mm. Who did you marry? You. So that means you need to work on you growing up, not changing your spouse. You can't change your spouse. If God Almighty can't change them, you don't have any hope. Right. So just work on you growing up, and that changes things. So... We realize, you know, it's just a simple process. So those other three things, we'll go into them probably in more detail. But communication, you got to learn how to talk. Number two reason for divorce is money. Uh, men see money as freedom. Women see money as security, and that's where major fights break out. Number three, children. Uh, men see children as something that they got to get out of the house as quick as they can. Women want to have the kids leave at home until they're 40. And so we have fights over that. Then the fourth reason for divorce, believe it or not, is problems in the bedroom. Uh-oh. We have sexual problems. And, you know, and so people use sex as a weapon against each other. First Corinthians 7 says your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your spouse. <laughs> and so we tell jokes all the time. That sounds like you a fight. <laughs> that's right. So, man, if I'm in the mood, I, come on, let's go to the bedroom. I'm not in the mood. Doesn't matter what kind of mood you're in. Your body belongs to me. Get in here. <laughs> people laugh, but it is biblically true. I don't know my body. I'm, my job is to meet my spouse's sexual needs. I don't care what kind of mood I'm in or what I've been going through at work. That's my job. And I tell people, especially the guys, hey, guys, do your job. You need to do your job. If you do your job, you're going to be a happy man. The first time I heard you talk about the job descriptions, Joe, uh, was the first time I ever heard you preach. And I even still have the card that I took off your table that night that described lover, leader, provider. And it was a concept that was so foreign to me, this idea that, you know, I had been waiting for this wife my whole life. And I showed up on a night where I wasn't dating anyone and you were talking about marriage and I was so upset. But I really learned something in this idea that I had a job to do as a future husband. I had to get ready to be a lover and be a provider and, and, and to do these things. And so it's such a, 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 a practical concept, these job descriptions. So if you don't mind, would you go over the sort of the roles in the marriage and how you see it and how the Bible sees it? Well, you kind of go back to that, that, uh, we go back to that provider. God, God said, listen, 
uh, any man that does not provide, Second Timothy says uh, five eight. If any man does not provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. He is this one who has denied the faith. My job is to make money. I told all the son-in-laws that married into my family. Son, I love you. Now, I had two requirements. Number one, I took all the kids through six months of pre-marriage counseling. With that the, was an overkill. With the father-in-law? <laughs> I only saw them one night a month. Okay. I only saw them one for four hours. I had them read six books, do a book report. Uh, and then I had them fill out a little questionnaire at the end. But the last night, I had them do two things. I had that young man. I need two things from you, son. I need your last 12 months of bank statements. The last year's worth of bank statements. You bring, you put put your bank statements on my desk. And number two, I want to see a five-year plan on one piece of paper. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Because uh, God made a woman to help a man going somewhere. And if you don't have a five-year plan, you don't need any help going nowhere. And then I want to see your budget. I want to see you spend your money. Because you say you love my daughter. Well, I want to see how much money you spent on my daughter since you've been dating her. You know, I want to make sure you're a tither. Because if you're not a tither, you're under a financial curse. No. And that means my daughter's going to marry you. And so I don't care how smart you are, how high your GPA. If you're under a financial curse, you're going to be busting broke. My daughter's going to look like she's been drugged down the interstate behind a bump of a car 20 years now, wore out trying to support your sorry self because you're under a financial curse. Because this earth is cursed. How do you get them under? Well, that's what tithe's about. You know, God took him to the promised land. Yeah. Hey, this is the land of Jericho. But Jericho, the first city, there were 10 cities in the promised land. God said, I'm going to give you the first city so you can give it back to me. Jericho's mine. I'm going to give you something to give back to me. You give it back to me, I'll give you the other nine cities. You're going to be a blessed individual. So I tell people, it's not a legalistic thing. It's a seed-sowing thing. So finances, I tell guys, you need to have a budget. The greatest miracle you'll ever do. It's just get a budget. Anybody that teach, they teach it all over America. Any bookstore's got books on it. Just get a budget. How much do you owe? How much do you earn? Where is it going? Get a piece of paper and write it down. Do you know who you owe? No. Well, you're probably losing money. It's leaking through the cracks, I guarantee it. So if you'll just get a budget, you'll stop fighting about money because, and I tell couples that, don't get a budget at the same time. Let him get one. I said, sugar, you get one. And give them in about a week. Make sure you've got everything you can think of written down and come together. And I'll promise you, it's going to be two different budgets. Because what you think is important, uh, she doesn't think is important. And what she thinks is important, you don't think is important. Two people becoming one is a miracle in heaven. Yes. And it's a wonderful. Listen, the second greatest thing God ever did for man was create marriage. Outside being born again, there's no greater gift God ever gave to mankind. He said, the Bible says, he that finds a spouse finds a good thing. And I just remember when I heard, I heard that in church and I was married, I thought, well, then I must have got the wrong good thing. I must have got somebody else's good thing. There's no way this could be my good thing. I got the wrong good yeah. thing. Somebody <laughs> must have got my good thing, you know? Trade. And you realize, no, because opposites attract. Yeah. God gives you what you're not, what you don't have. So Denise was good at what I wasn't good at. She was smart while I wasn't smart. I was smart where she wasn't smart, and I was good at what she wasn't good at. Two, the Bible says, are better than one. Not because you see the problem from the same viewpoint, because you see it from a different viewpoint. And that gives you an advantage. Hey, I see this. Well, I see this. Well, I heard this. I heard this. Hey, let's pull our thoughts together, and let's have some success. It's like one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. A marriage is the weapon of God on this planet. Yeah. But what happens is the devil gets us turning on each other. Well, I don't understand you, and I don't know how you think. You just think crazy. No, you think different because God made you different as a gift to me. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt that God made men and women very differently. In fact, uh, Joe, I have here in my notes, I don't know if you knew this or not, but one of your videos where you talk about the differences between men and women has over 15 million views. I find this number to be very impressive. Almost uh, over 400,000 people have shared this on the Internet, this video of you describing the differences between men and women and, and from a biblical perspective. So since it's such a viral video, Joe, and everybody seems to love hearing about it, can you go over some of these differences and maybe why they're there? Well, one of the things that was so hard uh, when we first got married, uh, an average woman in our country, the average woman has a 3% higher IQ than the average man. And she's smarter. She has better manual dexterity. Four times more men are broadsided in a car accident than a woman because men have long-range vision. Women have peripheral vision. That's why the women, the women have peripheral vision because they want to know where the kids are at all times. Mm. The men don't care where the kids are as long as they're not in front of him. So the average man speaks about 12,000 words a day. The average woman speaks almost 30,000 words a day. That's why in domestic violence, about 84% of the time, it's a man hitting a woman. Not a woman hitting a man. It's not because he's stronger. It's because he ran out of words. And when a man runs out of words, the decibel level goes up because he's shoving the last ones out as hard as he can. 
because he knows they didn't have many left. <laughs> and so we talk about the toothbrush test. You know, I've been in the Army, and I've been scouting. The average man, 95% of all men, when they brush their teeth, have to get right in front of the sink. And if they're right-handed, they brace themselves with their left hand on the sink. And research has shown men do not move their toothbrush. They move their head I've been there. to the volume of the water <laughs> coming out of the spigot. But they say a woman can brush her teeth, pack a school lunch, wipe down a kitchen counter, give instructions to her kids and not spit on anything all at the same time. Wow. And so we just have different. Women have a better immune system. You know, women love touch. Uh, a woman's skin is ten times more sensitive to touch than a man's skin. That's why you see teenagers on a date. It's the girl hanging off the guy, mm. not the guy hanging off the girl. And this guy's saying, man, this woman's hot. She likes me. No, she'd do the same thing to a kitty cat, a puppy dog, or a bunny rabbit, big boy. You're not that special. She just likes touching. Yeah. And so we go through, and it's in the public library. We just looked at the basic differences in males and females. They're opposite. Yeah. We're meant to help one another. And so we laugh about it a lot, but it helps more couples during that one session to realize, oh, my goodness, I thought I married a she-bear or he-bear from the south side of Hades. I've married to my total, complete opposite. As a gift from God Almighty, yes, you did. Yeah, there's no doubt that it that that hearing those facts and the science behind why we're different and from God's perspective, it gives us perspective of how He sees us and how He's put us together to be opposite. Uh, one, yes. of, one of the things that's is sort of difficult for two opposites to do is to communicate. And you talk a lot about communication in your book. You mentioned, uh, and I think of this often uh, when I'm in, not necessarily in an argument, but anytime I'm talking to my wife and I want to say something, maybe I know I shouldn't. I think back to your, you know, you saying having a marriage license isn't a certificate to say whatever you want and let it come out of your mouth. So I, I, I quote you in my head maybe more often than uh, I should sometimes. But uh, what do you think about building uh, communications with somebody who's your opposite and how can we build better communication? Well, yeah, what you want to do, and like I said, it's pretty simple. I tell every couple, if you'll read a proverb a day for one month, just one proverb a day for one month, highlight all the, all the verses about the mouth and the tongue. Just get your highlighter, all the verses about the mouth and tongue. Do that for 31 days, and you're married. you'll save your marriage. Basically, it's telling you, you know, life and death in the power of the tongue. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Everything else proceeds from the evil one. How does hell get in your marriage? Through your mouth. Yeah. How do you end up in fights? Your mouth. And so what it is, you're not trying to solve a problem. You're trying to give an opinion. And people don't care what your opinion is, especially your spouse. And so I tell people, listen, when you get married, you have two different dictionaries. You might be using the same word, but you're having two different thoughts when you say that word. Mm. It takes time and years to get to know one another. Listen, Mason, I had 45 years of marriage. Every year, every year was a revelation. Oh, I didn't know you thought that way. Oh, I didn't know you thought that way. Oh, I didn't know you thought that way. And we, we were constantly growing because you don't stay the same. Men get married thinking that woman will never change. Women get married thinking, I'll change him the day he says I do. And both the lives in the pit. Only God can change the heart of a human. So most of the fights happen because you're demanding your own way. And really what a covenant is, you're trying to find a human. Biblically, you're trying to find somebody. Who is it I would like to find to give the rest of my life to? Not who to, oh, I'm going to win that one. I'll, get, yeah. I'll convince that one to marry. <laughs> no, it's the total opposite. I'd like to spend the rest of my life loving that person out there, giving my life to them. So we talk about, you know, uh, being a lover's leading providers. That's the three basic job descriptions. But when the, in the book, we talk about what's your job. Well, you know, I'm going to go back to, you know, what they talked about, the, th the basic needs, you know. So it talked about all those fights start with words. And so what are you going to do? Well, I need, number one, I need, to, I need to have a vision for myself. Every guy, I said, listen, guys, you don't need help doing nothing. Do you know where you And then you've got to think about Adam had a job. Adam had a full-time job. He had a personal relationship with God Almighty. Yeah. He had a full-time job, naming all the animals. He's over everything, over the whole planet, and he's got a personal relationship with God. At that point, and only at that point did God say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make you a helper. <laughs> you don't need help if you don't have a job. You don't need help if you don't have a relationship with God. You don't need help doing nothing. So everything starts with God. God's the center of the universe. So, you know, we're gonna, we got to kind of go back to the beginning, that love-related provider. So it goes back to this. In Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Well, how did he do that? He gave himself for it. He died for the church. That's how he resurrected. He died for it. He said, I'll give my life for, the, for this lady right here. Yeah. For the body of Christ, I'm going to give my life. So I tell men, when you get married, you promise to give your life to her. I don't care what she says, what she thinks, that's your job. Men are leaders. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, as God is the head of Christ. Christ is over the man. Man's over the woman. Woman's over the children. Children's over the dog. Dog's over the cat. Cat's over the mouse. Mouse over the cheese. <laughs> cheese over the cracker. There's a pecking order in the kingdom of God. But the word is not dictator. The word in the Greek is source. God is the source of Christ. Jesus said, 
I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. If you see me, he said, you've seen my father because we're the same. Then Jesus turns around to man and says, man, without me, you cannot do a single thing. But with me, man, all things are possible. Then a man turned around to his wife and says, sugar, what do you need? I'm either going to go write a check for it or I'm going to stop believing God for it. I'm not your dictator. I'm your source. I'm your source, honey. I'm, I'm here to make your life better. And so once you kind of get that scripture, you realize, oh, man, this is a good deal. Marriage is a great thing. You know, and so we meet couples all over the country. Uh, one couple had been married. Um, uh, we were up in uh, South Dakota one time doing the seminar, and the couple were celebrating their 68th year of marriage. 68th year. Wow. And people, and we were fascinated. So people right at the end, we had a great weekend, and somebody said, hey, Share your secret. <laughs> Share your secret for being married that long. And he just looks at what? Share your secret for being married so long. And he looked at his wife. She looked at him. And they were just real quiet. And he turned and said, we didn't quit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's your secret? We didn't quit. <laughs> Wanted to quit. Thought about quit. But no, we just didn't quit. Yeah. We just kept at it. And so that's what Jesus did. Jesus built a church. He didn't find one. I'm going to do I'm going to love these thumb-sucking people right into glory. Yeah. I'm going to love them every day. Uh, they're going to fall down, and I'm going to pick them back up. Jesus spent all his spare time with sinners. He hung out with thieves and prostitutes and murderers. Like, I mean, he went after the lost. He, didn't, he wasn't some religious nut. That's why he got judged all the time, man. Your master hangs out with all kinds of tax collectors, prostitutes. Well, he's trying to save them. And so that's he's come to seek and save the lost. So when you get married, you realize, what are you? I'm a gift to this individual, and they're a gift to me. They're good at what I'm not good at. I'm good at what they're not. We're not going to dominate one another. We're going to make each other's life better. We get to spend the rest of our life doing that. Man, what an adventure that no is. No doubt, Joe. You have such a great and tremendous ability to encourage me every day with your stories, and I'm hoping our listeners are being blessed as well. When we come back, we'll ask Joe some pointed questions about what we can do in our marriages today if we're having some troubles. And also, I want to get into my favorite chapter, which is called Having Children Staying Sane. More with Joe when we come back here on the New John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House. behind the scenes photos and get the latest news from the show all you have to do is follow at new john simmons on facebook twitter and instagram now let's get back to the new john simmons show Welcome back to the final segment of tonight's show. It's the new John Simmons show. Tonight's special guest, Joe McGee, is with us talking about his new book, You Don't Find a Great Marriage, You Build One. It's been such a special influence in my life, and I absolutely believe he can continue to encourage you if you just listen and tune in as we finish up our conversation about his book, You Don't Find a Great Marriage, You Build One. Joe, on our show, and talking about being gifted by God as individuals, uh, we believe here on the show that uh, God's created specific plans for us. Of course, Ephesians 2.10 describes that we are designed by God to do good works in Christ Jesus. And we also see the recorded testimonies of some people in Hebrews 11. So we also know that God is keeping meticulous records today, the hairs on our heads and, and whatnot. So we know that the word, yes. the word says that our lives are still being recorded by God. So uh, here on the show, we try to help people find God's sentence for their life, is what we call it. Our way of saying God's plans for their life. So if... God has given us all a unique calling on our life. How is marriage supposed to work into this? Are we supposed to have one plan together? Do we have individual plans? Does one plan supersede Look, the other? Well, that's a great, that's really a great question, John, because when we get to heaven, uh, Denise and I will not get to stand side by side. Right. I'll have to stand alone and give an account for my life. She's going to give an account for her life. We don't lose our personality when we get married. We spend a lifetime growing together, but I don't lose my personality. She didn't lose her personality. She's still Denise Campbell. That's, that's the person I married. I'm still Joe McGee. She's the, I'm the person she married. But we did become one. God said, two become one. What? Well, actually, in purpose. We don't lose our personality. We become one. What are you doing? Well, we're going to do things together now. Two are better than one. Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. For if one falls, he can help the other one up. But woe to him that's lonely falls. You lie by yourself, you're probably going to be cold at night. 
If two lie together, you're going to have some heat. Yeah. If one gets attacked, you're going to get whipped. But if two get attacked, you can withstand the attack. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. God says there's strength in numbers. God said marriage is the second greatest thing he ever did for mankind. It's not good to be alone, and it's still the truth today. That's what it said in Genesis. It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. Now, the first half of that word's hell. You've got to get the purr in there. Hell, purr, <laughs> a helper. And so and people think, well, I just don't understand. Well, it's because you married the opposite. It's a gift from God. They're good at what you're not good at. Quit trying to dominate and try to cooperate. So we talked about man's a lover, a leader, and provider, but also the four things that we just do this briefly uh, for divorce, lack of communication, uh, uh, no budget, lack of knowing what you need, start believing God for money, and increase your ability to make money. You know, you get paid for either what you do or what you know. If you can't do anything, you don't know anything, you don't get paid anything. Right. <laughs> you need to learn something. And the third reason is kids, God loves children. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. goes back to Genesis. And people all the time are saying, well, there's too many people. No, there's not. I had a kid one time in my class, really challenged me, good kid. I liked him a lot. And he said, Mr. G, you have too many children. Because we had six. And he said, you have too many children. That's, that's just wrong. I said, what? He said, that's just wrong. I said, why is that wrong? I said, I, I, my dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My father had 12. You know what I liked about that? Every Sunday, somebody was there to take Grandma to dinner, lunch, buy her Christmas gift, send her on a cruise. And actually, one of them bought her a Winnebago. It was really good because the Bible says, parents plant for the children. Children left for the parents. I told every one of our kids, you owe me. You owe me and mom good measure. Press that shame. Yes, you owe us. We birthed you and wiped you and raised you and birthed you and taught you how to walk and talk and got you through school and got you through college, paid for your wedding. <laughs> you owe us. You know. And so I think that children are an incredible blessing. And the whole idea, you're trying to work yourself out of everything. We are trying to do? Give my life away to my kids. I'm trying to give my life away. And hopefully they'll give their life away to their kids. And every generation will do better than the next generation. Then we talk about that last thing in marriage. It's the thing on sex. You know, we talk about Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. talks about the, the, the female sexual organ is a well, and the male sexual organ is a fountain. And people, people stare at us all the time and say, you know, you ever seen a fountain? Fountain's under pressure all the time. You don't have to work getting water out of a fountain. It's ready to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. But we, we had a well growing up up behind Grandma's house, and it was on a hill. And the only time you went there is when you're out of water. You never went to the well unless you were out of water. And, man, you hated to get picked. Man, I get picked sometimes. Try to go up there and get some water. Oh, man, I'm already thirsty. I'm waiting for somebody else to get water. So you get the bucket, and you got to walk up that hill, and you're walking and sweating and sweating and walking and walking and sweating. You finally get to the well, and the well is 103 feet deep. You hook that bucket up, and you crank it down, and you crank it down, and you're sweating and cranking and cranking and sweating, and you finally hit the water. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, finally. And then you got to crank that thing up. Well, now you're cranking and sweating and sweating. And I tell people, I'm here so much, if I need to explain that, you see me after the class tonight. <laughs> it takes time to get water out of a well, oh, guys. Oh, my. Yeah, I love it. Uh, this marriage book is full of all sorts of tips, guys. We don't have it to. It just... is full of great tips, right out of the <laughs> word of God. You will laugh your way all the way through it. I guarantee it because you remember what you laughed at. Absolutely. It's great. One of my favorite chapters in your book is appropriately titled "Having Children Staying Sane." And so, I know listeners of my show know that I have two kids, uh, both under the age of two, and they are have been. We were in a rush to have kids, Joe, and now we are definitely in a rush to stay sane. And your book talks about it. <laughs> <a lot. laughs> Oh, yeah. But there's a grace to do that. I'm telling you, there's a grace. (laughs) Yes. What's your advice to parents like me who are dealing with, you know, these sorts of issues and staying sane with kids in the house? Well, you need to remember the whole purpose. God loves kids, you know. The fruit of the womb is a reward from God. I mean, first time I read that, I thought, well, that's got to be a lie from the south side of something. There's no way that's a reward. No, that's a reward because we grew the most when we started having children. We loved each other. We were single. We got married. We loved each other. We had five years before we had kids. Man, we suck the lips off each other's face, go to a movie every weekend, you go out to eat in a nice restaurant. We had kids, you don't go anywhere. You got some kid crying and pooping in his diaper, smelling you up. You know, it's like, man, every time we'd order something, by the time our food would come, the kids start crying because they're ready to go. And so, man, our social life kind of flipped upside down, but you realize something. Kids learn from watching you. And, and that I've heard, I've had parents tell me, I'll be glad when they're out of the house. Well, yeah. I'm telling you something. God gave you those kids to train. If you don't train them, you may get them out of the house, but eventually they're going to move back in and bring friends, and they'll live there until they're 40. Uh-oh. So the goal, the goal is to train them up to get out and become mature and go train up the next generation. So your job is to teach and train. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. And whom shall we teach the deep doctors? God, those weaned from their mothers? 
line upon line, precept on precept, here little, there little. A parent's job is to teach and train. And you'll be doing that all your life. I told people laugh. I said, I told my kids, we were trying to get them to do all the stuff, going to school early, early in the morning, and they'd be coming downstairs. One in particular, I said, did you brush your teeth this morning? Mm-hmm. They said, no. Please go do that. We'd appreciate that. The next day, the next day, well, less than 25 hours, hey, did you brush your teeth this morning? No. <laughs> well, we'd appreciate it if you'd do that. So I tell people, 16 years, two days later, did you brush your teeth today? Yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> Revelation knowledge has come to my house. Now we can go into something else. And so I have parents that I, I get so friends. How many times do I have to tell you? Well, you have to tell them until they get it, Mom. You have to tell them until they get it, Dad. You have to keep telling them. God kept telling us his word wow. over and over, kept sending prophets and teachers. And why? Because our brain kept leaking out on our pillow at night. Apparently. But he loved us enough to remind us, put us in remembrance of the word. And that's what you do as a parent. So please don't holler, scream, accuse, you're an idiot, you'll never amount to nothing, you won't amount to a hill of beans. I saw a hill of beans once. It was a peanut, it was a peanut plant in Missouri. It doesn't, it's not anything. <laughs> don't say that. You're, you say what God says about them. You know what? I don't care what anybody says. You're going to bring honor to the family name. You're going to bring great honor to my family name. I don't care what you just flunked. I don't care if I had to go bail you out of jail. The Bible says my children are going to bring honor to the family name. Wealth and riches are going to be in your house. You're gonna buy. You're gonna buy my spouse and I a big Winnebago. Big Winnebago. Uh, yes. you get so you need to start saying what God says. Not just. You don't need to be a cheerleader from hell. Hell's got enough cheerleaders. Start saying what God says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Call those things that be not as though they are. Speak good things over your kids, and they will respond. Man, I'm telling you, they'll respond to the word of God. So even though we're talking about your marriage book, you don't find a great marriage you build when you you touch on parenting, you touch on vision, you touch on a number of different subjects to try and encourage. Our marriages. Just a couple questions before we let you go, Joe, uh, to sort of talk about some issues that marriages might be facing today, and you can bring some hope and encouragement to them, hopefully through some of these uh, answers. Uh, let's start with uh, this idea that is going on in my house right now is that my wife works the day job and I work the night job, and we sort of seem like two ships passing in the night. So I'm sure many couples out there can, you know, have a similar story. So what do we do when we're, you know, sort of feeling fatigued from not seeing each other enough? Well, it's not how long you pray, it's if you pray. And everybody pretty much that I've met is either a two-income family or it's a single-parent family trying to pay bills and get things done. And it's almost like God's not shocked. He knew where you were. It's not how long you talk. It's just having just a short moment for any one-on-one conversation. It's not yelling, demanding, clean up your room, shut up, do your homework. No, hey, how was your day? You know, you got any good friends? Hey, we think about going. And I used to tell people, you know, we lived in the country, so... I built two fire pits in the yard, and we had plenty of trees, old dead trees, and so I made the most of them. We had lots of rocks. It's called Stone Bluffs. I had a lot of rocks. So I piled up two yeah. things of rocks. He said, what are you going to do? I'm going to build a fire pit. What for? Trust me. You're going to see. And so if I go out at night, sometimes in the summertime, sometimes in the wintertime, I go out and I just start a fire, and the kids would come out on the porch. Hey, Dad, what are you doing? I'm starting a fire. What for? <laughs> I like a fire. Yeah. And eventually, maybe one would come out. John, maybe they would all come out. Are you going to cook some? No, but if you got any hot dogs, go get some. Got some marshmallows, bring those back out. And if you sit around the fire and don't ask the kid anything, they'll empty their brain. You put a roasted marshmallow on a stick, and they'll start telling you everything that happened yesterday, today, tomorrow, what their friends are, what they're doing, what's going on with school, how their homework's going. They will empty their brain. But if you sit a kid down, sit down, kid, we need to talk. They're not going to tell you a thing. <laughs> but if you maybe just go for a piece of pizza, go yeah. for a walk, you know, put some peanut butter and crackers together and say, hey, have a cracker. What are you doing? I just feel like taking a snack. And they'll open up and talk to you. The biggest thing is getting them to talk to you. And you listen. you got to learn to listen. You know, be slow to speak, quick to hear. Sometimes don't overreact when your kid tells you something like, oh, dear Lord, when did that happen? Well, what did you do? And don't just stay real calm as though they ask you for some peanut butter. Well, that's interesting. Well, what do you think about that? Jesus always answered a question with a question. So I just tell kids, and say, well, what do you think about that? Well, how's that working out for them? And they would answer it. And they're real smarter than we think. The kids are so much smarter than they think. Yes. But you've got to have an avenue to have a conversation. The biggest thing, I don't care how busy you are, when you're driving off from work, a busy day, and you're putting in almost you know, 12-hour days, hey, tell me about your day today. Boys are quiet. It's fine. Well, how fine was it on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, probably about 6. Man, that's better than nothing. Yeah, I've had some of those nothings. And you just start a conversation. They'll keep it up. Just It's like a ping-pong match. Keep kind of not like you're grilling them under a lamp like you're a detective. Right. Just give them something <laughs> to think about. Uh, so talk to them. 
Yeah, our last question tonight, Joe, before we let you go, of course, Joe McGee, my favorite Bible teacher on the new John Simmons show tonight. I'm very excited you've been able to spread so much of your hope over the years, but especially to our listeners here tonight. Uh, you sort of closed the book with this thought about our spouses coming in agreement with one another. And obviously a major problem in marriages, as you've mentioned, the divorce rate. We come in disagreements and we have our own opinions about money and, and communication and parenting and all of these things. So how do we learn to agree? The biggest thing to learn is you're not trying to win an argument. This is not a battle. It's not about it. Denise and I, so many times, after we survived that first three years, just almost just, just going crazy with each other, we learned to listen real slow. So uh, sometimes I'd say, hey, Denise, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Sure, Joe, that's fine. And then sometimes I think, hey, Denise, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? I think that's stupid, Joe. You're kidding. Why? Well, this. And I, sometimes I say, well, I never thought about that. But what about this? She said, well, that'd be all right. And so we learned how to like slap that ping pong ball back and forth. Sometimes we go to bed, we didn't solve anything. We didn't get an agreement. I said, well, you know, we'll pick it up tomorrow. We'll figure out what we're going to do. So I don't demand my own way. So she still wouldn't budge on some things. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe I missed it. You know, I probably missed it somewhere. I'll just got to do some more research, ask some more questions. Was it about going on vacation, getting another truck? You know, maybe we got to get a bigger house. We got too many kids and not enough beds, bedrooms. And so they were never small decisions. They're always big. And so, well, we'll go looking. We'll go looking tomorrow. And we, whether it was buying a car or something, sometimes it would take a day. Sometimes it would take a month. And no, I don't like that. No, not that. And we would always get it. When I, every time, John, would say, yeah. man, I'm glad we waited. I'm glad I kept asking questions. It's good but work. man, if I'd have done the first thing I wanted, that, I would have done something about half of what God actually wanted us to have. So you just faith and patience. You inherit the promises. You're not trying to win an argument. You're trying to find out what they're thinking, what they're concerned about, what they're believing for. You try to get in agreement with them. That's the goal. Whether you have kids or not, whether you have a great marriage or not, you know, this is the book for you. It can touch marriages of all shapes and sizes. I really believe that uh, the contents of this book can bless all of you who are even planning to get married. Like I mentioned before, uh, I heard Joe before I got married, and I started to implement his teachings on lover, leader, provider in my life before my wife showed up and, uh, not soon after, God allowed me to find a wife, and then I had two kids, and so I'm still implementing Joe's <laughs> teachings today. And so uh, this book's for you. Don't find a great marriage. You build one. Available at JoeMcGeeMinistries.com. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Man, thank you, John, for what you do, man. Appreciate your work. God bless your people. All right, thank you so much. And tell the family I said hello. I will do it, buddy. <laughs> All right, God bless. God bless. Bye. Wonderful words of encouragement from my fair Bible teacher, Joe McGee. I hope it's blessed you tonight. That's going to do it for the show. However, and I want to just say, thanks for tuning in tonight, guys. We'll catch you again tomorrow on the live stream. Until then, I pray you discover a future and a hope for your life today. Thanks for listening to the new John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. To replay this episode or listen to past episodes, look for the new John Simmons Show podcast on your mobile device. Stay connected to the show. Read the latest news, blog posts, and see behind-the-scenes photos by following at New John Simmons on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you would like to learn more about how you can begin to write God's sentence for your life, or join a growing community of people who are finding passion, vision, and faith for their lives, please visit NewJohnSimmons.com. Until next time, we pray you discover a future and a hope for your life today.